welcome y'all here. My name is Ed Griffinagan. I'm one of the pastors on the, our staff at Church on the Trail, and I'm thankful that you're here physically, and I know there's lots of people that are, uh, that are watching online, a lot of people that are watching online. So welcome to y'all, and then welcome to y'all. And uh, today is Mother's Day, and Mother's Day is a, is a day when we honor the one person who has unselfishly given of herself to her children over and over and over and over, and you saw the young lady over and over and over and over again, and never ask anything in return. You know, your mama doesn't ask anything in return, and my mama doesn't ask anything in return. And so I'd say, look, if you have been blessed by the touch in your life sometime, by the touch of a godly mama, then you have truly, y'all, enjoyed one of the biggest blessings, hugest blessings that you ever that you ever will. Unfortunately, that is not a universal thing. That is not a that is not everybody's experience. But if it is yours, then I know that you will more than likely go to the grave remembering your mama's love. And you may be here today, and you may have lost your mother this year or last year or you know ten years ago, whatever that may be. And if so, if that's the case, then we pray along with you that your memories are sweet. Matter of fact, let me pray real quick. Lord, we love you today and we thank you. Uh, we thank you for a mother's love. Lord, we understand that, uh, that some of us have lost uh, our mother in the years past. And Lord, we pray that you would just refresh our minds with those sweet memories of childhood and of, and of a mother's love. And Lord, we pray if... Uh, if our mother is still alive, if your mother's still alive, that that we would just hug on her and love her uh, the way that you do. And so, Father, we love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. So, um, today is that one day a year that we set aside for mamas, and I'd like to say to my wife, Susan, that she is the best. For me, she is the best. And I got to say that uh, that the sacrificial love that that Susan has displayed for 27 plus years for our oldest son, Zach, and then for 24 plus years for Will. It knows no bounds, and I love her for a lot of reasons, but I really love her for that. And I want to give her a rose. And that was the, the kind of that was what I was after. <laughs> and all of you mamas that are here, we've got a rose for you. you we'll give it to you at the end of you're special, but so are they. Um, so, so you'll get a rose on, on your way out. Now, so Susan has just been the best. But one time, one time, and it was one of those when Zach and Will were little, and I wish I could tell you that. I remember how old they were. I, I don't. But one, and she's not even going to remember this, but it was one of those days. And if you're a mama, you know what, what one of those days, what... It's what that video was. It was one of those days, and I got home from work, and, and she looked like she had been in a fight with a rabid hyena. And, and so I, I walked in from work, and I just said, I said, look, you go do whatever. Let me take care of them. I'll get them fed. I'll get them bathed, and I'll get them put to bed. And it, well, no, it was maybe a couple hours later probably. And we're laying in the bed getting ready to go to sleep, and I said, babe, if you could do it all over, would you have kids again? And she said, yeah, but not the same ones. <laughs> now, today, though, um, you don't remember that, do you? No. 
So, to, but today, look, y'all, today we're going to be in the book of Exodus. We're taking a departure from where we've been, and we're going to be in the book of Exodus. And so this is about 15 or 1,600 years before Christ, but I want to back up, and I want to give you a little backstory uh, of this for some context. So 100, or 100 to 200 years before that, you had uh, a guy named Joseph. Joseph was one of Jacob's sons, and Joseph uh, actually is the second in command in Egypt. When Joseph dies, the Bible says in Exodus in chapter 1 and verse 7, it says, the text says, the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. They were growing in Egypt, but they were growing. And then you got a new sheriff that comes into town in Egypt, a new pharaoh. And the text says in verse 8, it says that this new this new Sheriff, this new Pharaoh, didn't know Joseph. In other words, he didn't owe Joseph anything. He didn't owe Joseph's people anything. He not, not that he went and was going to knock off Joseph. He just didn't know anything about that. And so he, he didn't owe anybody anything. And at the end of the day, he put the Hebrews uh, in slavery because he was scared that they were growing so fast that it was going to be a problem in Egypt. And that fear that he had, that fear that this Pharaoh had, uh, it, it drove him to order that all the newborn Hebrew males uh, would be thrown into the Nile River to die. And then we have a lady, her name is Jochebed. And we know her name, we don't know her name, we're going to be in Exodus 2 today, we don't know her name from Exodus 2, we actually know her name from Exodus 6. But she was one of these Hebrew uh, slaves in Egypt at the time, and she was a descendant of Levi, and her husband's name was uh, Amram. And before Pharaoh's decree to kill these baby boys, she had two kids, Miriam and, uh, and Aaron. And we think Miriam was probably the oldest, not for sure, and not that it matters, but she had Aaron and Miriam. And so we get to Exodus chapter 2, the first 10 verses of Exodus chapter 2. I want to read those to you. Now, a man from the house of Levi went and took, a, uh, took as his wife a Levite woman, the woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, the text calls her a fine child, she hid him for three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took uh, for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it, and she placed it among the reeds by the riverbank, and his sister Miriam stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to the, uh, to the river to bathe, while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Miriam said to Pharaoh's daughter, the princess, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. This is Jochebed. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew older, she, uh, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son, and she named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. And y'all, the name of our message this morning you've seen on the screen is Moses' Mamas. Moses' Mamas. And you know we just read about Moses' Mamas. And I want us to look at the choices that these two women made, Jochebed and 
Pharaoh's daughter, the princess, the mothers of Moses. The choices that these two women made, they really do teach us a whole bunch about life, about, um, about love, sacrificial love, and about the, the, uh, the kind of legacy that we would leave. In fact, these choices that these two women made had an incredibly uh, profound impact on the world. So let's look at these choices. Number one, they chose life. They chose life. Jochebed first, imagine this pregnancy that she had. It's not like this edict, this, uh, this command that from Pharaoh. It's not like it snuck up on them, right? So she is pregnant. She's waiting. There's crazy anticipation. There's crazy uh, anxiety. She knew that as soon as this baby was born, that if it was a male, that it was a boy, he was going to be tossed into the Nile River to die. So finally, she does give birth. She gives birth uh, to a, the text says, to a fine baby boy. And that word fine, it has the idea of being, uh, being good and being pleasant and being agreeable and being like just the best. This baby boy was just the best. Great baby. And, and so uh, Jochebed chose life for him, and she hid him. She chose to disobey what Pharaoh had dictated. That would get her the death penalty. She disobeyed what, what Pharaoh had dictated, and she allowed her son uh, to live, and she hid this growing baby boy for as long as she could. The text says it was about three months. And so her faith in the Lord would absolutely not allow her to let him die. And so she trusted God with the life of her son, and she weaves together this basket of papyrus reeds, and she seals it up with tar, bitumenous tar, with tar and pitch so that it wouldn't leak, and she puts the baby in it. She puts it, uh, sets him down, this baby, in this uh, little bassinetti kind of thing, and she sets him down really on the waters of the providence of God, on the sovereignty of God. That's what those waters were. And Moses' big sister, Miriam, she's hanging out close by to kind of watch and to make sure, and she's following to make sure of what's going to happen to him and make sure he'd be okay. And so here's this mama, and she chooses life for her child. Now, death for Hebrew baby boys was the law of the land, but she chose to give him life instead. Now, how about Pharaoh's daughter, this princess? What, 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 what about her? What did she do? Verses 5 and 6 tell us, the, the Bible says that, that uh, she eases down to the river to take a bath. Well, here's a shocker. It was at just the right time. This is that God of randomness that we all serve. It's just the right time she eases down uh, to, to bathe. She sees this basket, and, and she looks inside, and she finds this crying uh, little baby boy right, her servants go down and she sees this little boy crying. She recognizes that he, and don't miss this now, she recognizes that this child is a Hebrew baby boy. And the Bible doesn't tell us really, really how she knew that this baby was a Jewish, was a, was a Jewish kid and was a Hebrew boy. How do y'all think that she knew this? Lonnie says he was circumcised, right? I remember mine. It was traumatic. On the eighth day, I remember it like it was yesterday. No, I don't remember it. <laughs> anyway, anyway, she immediate when she sees that, and I would imagine that is the way that she realized that he was a Hebrew baby boy, that it, the fact that he was circumcised. 
Anyway, so she does, though, immediately get that this child's mama chose life over death for him. She does get that. The Bible says that she had pity on him. And so it's in that moment, this princess found herself at this sort of fork like in the road. And this princess also, she had a choice to make. She could obey the command of not just the Pharaoh, but it was her dad, right? She could obey the command of her father. And if she obeyed the command of her father, what would she do? She would drown the baby right then because she knew that he was a Hebrew baby. Or she could choose life. And in this case, this pagan, y'all understand, man, they were pagans. And so this pagan princess who is born into a culture of death, too, she chose life for this child who the rule of law of the, uh, the law of the land said should die. And the reality, y'all, is that we live in a culture of death. We live in a world where the most dangerous place for an unborn child is the place where that child should be the safest, in its mama's womb. We live in a culture that allows a woman to, 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 to just take away the life of a child. Think about these numbers now. 42.3 million. You know what that number is? That is the number of abortions in 2019 on the planet. 42.3 million. You know how many have, have happened in this year so far? Almost 15 million in 2020. About 35,000 in the state of Georgia last year. 35,000 choices for death in Muskogee and Harris County in, in 2018, which is the last time there's stats on, on, on Muskogee and Harris County. 687 in our little neck of the woods. And there's a whole bunch more that we can say about that. But the fact of the matter is that it is too easy in our world to just do away with an unwanted child. We live in a culture of death, and it is undeniable, y'all, that we live in a culture of death. And you and I, we need to pray for our lawmakers. We do. Whether you agree with them on other stuff or not, we need to pray for our lawmakers. We need to pray for our pro-life lawmakers that they would stay strong and that God would change the hearts and the minds of the others. Look, if God can providentially in his sovereignty touch the heart of a pagan princess and allow her to choose life over death for a Hebrew baby boy, then he can touch the hearts and the minds of our lawmakers and of our doctors and help us to destroy the culture of death that we live in. Let me make two quick little statements uh, about this. I thank God for every mother that has chosen life for a child. I applaud you and I thank the Lord for you. Look, I am super thankful that my mama chose life. I praise him for that. And I know this, that, that, that human life, all human life, every single human life is so precious to God. And, and it is in his will, life. Life is in his will. Number one. Number two is this. And this is a serious little component of this conversation today, and it's this. If you're listening or watching or if you're in this room and you have had an abortion, I want you to hear this now. God is bigger than that. Way bigger than that, right? If you've had an abortion, I want you to know that God loves you. God cares for you. God has got huge, big, broad shoulders for you to lean on. He wants you to do that. 
he offers you forgiveness. And when he offers you forgiveness, y'all, it is absolute, total, one billion percent, as far as the east is from the west, forgiveness. It is done, it is just done away with, right? And so bring that to him, whatever it is. In this case, we're talking about abortion. Bring that to him and allow him to cleanse your heart and to soothe the pain that you probably still feel over it. It's been 10 or 15 or 20 or 30 years. So both of these women, y'all, both of these women choose life. So they chose to give Moses life. And then number two, they chose to give Moses love. Both of these women that God somehow put uh, in Moses' path, they both put themselves at great risk for him. His birth mother, Jochebed, she risked her life by not having him killed. His adoptive his adopted mama, the Egyptian uh, princess, she risked the wrath of her dad, the wrath of her father, uh, the Pharaoh, to save little Moses' life. Why in the world would, would they do this? And love, I think, is the only answer. It's the only thing that makes sense. They loved Moses more than they loved themselves. Even the Egyptian princess, you just have to think that when, they, when the servant uh, woman opens it up and, 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 and her eyes, uh, the princess, her eyes see him, immediately she must love him. God did something, y'all. He did something. If it's, if it's from birth, you know how it is. If you're a parent, the second, I remember my daddy saying, the second you see that child, you will love him and you will die for him. And it's the craziest thing. And so that's exactly what happened here. And then God did providentially did something with the, uh, with the princess to make that same sort of thing happen because they, they all risked their life for him. And so Jochebed loved Moses because he was her son, right? Her body gave him life, uh, and she nourished him as, uh, as he grew. It's verses 7, 8, 9. She nursed him probably for three or four years because back in the day, that's what they did. She probably was, was a nurse for him, and, and, and he wasn't weaned really until he was probably four years old because that's just sort of the way that they did it then. And Susan says, thank God they don't do it that way today. But because uh, Jochebed loved this baby so much, she risked everything to save his life. And because, because she did that, right, because she did that and she kind of raised him for those three or four years, uh, he was able to ultimately, at the end of the day, to lead his people out of slavery in Egypt and to destroy the Egyptian army without ever lifting a, sim a single sword or, a, or an arrow or anything. And so her love for him really allowed him to fulfill his God-given destiny to liberate his people out of Egypt. Now the princess, the Pharaoh's daughter, loved Moses because I believe, I really do believe that God pricked her heart. Somehow or the other, he pricked her heart and it was part Ultimately, it was part of his plan. There is no other logical reason why this pagan woman, just don't forget that this was a pagan, death-filled society that, that she was part of. That this, uh, there's no other reason why she would adopt a Hebrew son of a slave. She just wouldn't do it. It made no sense. And so her heart was clearly, somehow or the other, moved by the plight of this little kid, and she took him in as her own son, and then she named him Moses. 
And that name means drawn out, and it refers to the fact, obviously, that he was drawn out of the Nile River. And that name was also very, very providential. Moses was drawn out so that he, at the end of it all, could draw out his whole nation, the whole nation of Israel, out of Egypt some years later. And the irony in this is really nuts. One of the very children that Pharaoh intended to kill grows up, with all of the privileges of the royal family. Don't miss that little thought. All the privileges of the royal family. The best of everything. The very best of everything. And again, so this is, this is really providential, and this is really uh, underneath the sovereignty of God. Y'all, we serve, a, we, we, y'all, we serve a, a, a God that is so in charge of everything, and he sovereignly watches over uh, every event that takes place in history to a kind of uses those things. We don't even know that he's using them, but he uses those things to accomplish his purposes in the world. Ephesians 1.11 tells us that he works all things, not some things, not every other thing. He works all things according to the counsel of whose will? Of his will. So God put love for this child, for this little Hebrew boy, into the hearts of two radically different women. So God spares Moses from certain death. Why? Because ultimately God had a plan for Moses' life, and he would use Moses in some really huge, tremendous ways. And that had been part of his plan since before time began, right? And so he's using these events, and it was the sacrificial love of two mamas that was the vehicle that God chose to do it. Right, he's God, he gets to choose. Y'all, years ago, there was a, a young mama making her way across South Wales, and she's carrying her tiny little baby, and it's a boy too, carrying her tiny little baby boy in her arms, and, and, and as she's doing that, she was overcome by a blizzard, a really bad blizzard, bad enough that she couldn't really get out of it. And so she never reached the destination on the other side of South Wales, but when the blizzard finally eased up, the rescue workers find, uh, find her body underneath a mound of snow, but they found something else that was really almost unbelievable. She had taken off nearly all of her clothes and wrapped them around this baby, and when they unwrapped the child, unbelievably enough, that child was still alive. And the mama, uh, and really the child was well, was alive and well. And so she had kind of, kind of laid her body with all of her clothes off and wrapped around the baby. She had laid her body kind of across his, and she had sacrificially given her life for him. And, and years later, 20-ish years later in 1916, that child, David Lloyd George, grown up to manhood, became the prime minister of the UK. And that is a sacri- that's the sacrificial love of a mama. Thank God for mama's that love their children. I mean, thank, I thank God every day for her. I thank God every day for her and the sacrificial love that, that she has for our kids. I thank God every day for my mom, same thing. So number one, these women chose life for Moses. And number two, they chose to give Moses love. And number three, they chose to give him leadership. They chose to give him leadership. Both of the mamas that God gave Moses invested themselves in his life. 
His Egyptian mama, we talked about this a second ago, she uh, uh, gave him the best that Egypt had to offer. Look at Acts chapter 7 in verse 21. It says, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son, and Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in words and deeds. He was in line for the throne, right? He, he had the best education, totally the best education uh, available. It's probable because he was the adopted uh, son of Pharaoh's daughter that he really was in line for that throne that Pharaoh was on. He was trained as a prince in Egypt. He was trained uh, in warfare. He was one of the very best, most well-trained guys in all of Egypt, trained in leadership skills. And that training that he got in Egypt under the, the umbrella of the Egyptian monarchy would serve him super well in his later years. Now, his birth mother gave him something that this adoptive mother could never give him. His real mother introduced Moses to the God of Israel. She taught him about the one true and living God. She would have warned him about the false gods and the false religions and the false prophets of Egypt. <coughs> she, would, she would have told him stories about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and told him stories about Adam and Eve and Noah, and she would have told him about the reason that the Israelites were under uh, the oppressive hand of slavery in Egypt, about the promises. She would have told him about the promises of God ultimately to deliver his people out of the bondage in Egypt. She would have instilled in this child in those first four years of his life a love and a respect for the God of his fathers. And so we know that he took those lessons to heart. Look at Hebrews chapter 11. It says by, starting in verse 24, it says, By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking towards the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Y'all, by the time Moses grew up, he understood that God would use him at some point to deliver the people of Israel out of slavery. Look at Acts chapter 7. It goes on. And seeing one of them being wronged, he's talking about two guys probably in the tarp in the mud pits making bricks. Um, and seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He, Moses, supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they didn't understand. And on the following day, he appeared to them as they were quarreling and tried to reconcile them, saying, men, your brothers, why do you wrong each other? But the man who was wronging his neighbor thrust him aside and said, who made you ruler and a judge over us, do you want me to? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? And at that little retort, Moses fled on to Midian. Listen, man, the lessons that Moses learned from his mother set the very course of his life. That is how it works, y'all. That's how it works with the children that we've been given the responsibility to raise. That's just how it works. We need to give them something that that like all the universities, all the schools, all the extracurricular activities, whatever it is out in the world, we need to give them something that none of that can give them. 
we need to give them a knowledge of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Y'all, if they leave your house unable to dance or unable to play baseball or unable to play football, now football is important, don't get me wrong, but if they leave your house and they can't do those things, but they have a clear, crystal clear understanding, y'all, of who God is and who the Lord Jesus Christ is, then they're well ahead of the pack, right? If they leave home without, without knowing how to conjugate a verb or to do long division or to multiply fractions or, or, or if they leave home with, without being able to do any of that stuff, but if they leave home knowing that the Bible is true, knowing that the scriptures are the word of God, knowing that Jesus Christ is a friend of sinners, knowing that God loves them, they're far, far, far better off than their friends who know nothing or learn nothing of God from their moms and dads. Does that make sense? Now, don't walk out here and say, he thinks there should be no education and there should be, no, that's not what I'm saying, right? That's not what I'm saying. But the knowledge of the living God trumps everything. And so what I'm saying is like in our world, this world that we live in, all parents probably want better for their children, want, want their kids to have more than they had. Surely Susan and I did. You know, you want them to have a better education. You want them to have a better home. You want them to have better cars. You want them to have better opportunities. You want, to, you want them to have a, just a better life, whatever that kind of means. But what we should want more than all of that stuff is that they have a deep, meaningful, personal, eternal relationship with the Lord. That is what we should want for our kids more than anything. Somebody needs to say amen to that because that is, the, that is what it ought to be. What, what we should do is to do everything in our power as moms and dads to cultivate a love for the Lord. And that doesn't mean that kids are going to go through seasons of, aren't going to go through seasons of life. I mean, they are. Me and you do, so they are. But we should pray with them, right? We should pray for them. One of the most powerful scenes, how many of y'all saw Overcomer? One of the most powerful scenes in that movie is when Alex, the, the dad in the movie, and Sherry Rigby, who's the mom, are praying, and the kids are watching. But the mom and dad don't know that the kids are watching, right? That is one of the most powerful. We should do that, y'all. We should pray with them. We should, we should pray over them. We should pray for them. I watched Susan pray every day. Before I was even a believer, right? She prayed every day for our kids, for Zach and Will. She would pray for their safety. And like the truth of the matter is in that when they were little and she was doing that, I had never said a prayer in my whole life. I didn't know nothing about no prayer. But she's praying for their safety. She's praying for their salvation. I didn't even know what that meant. But she's praying for all of this stuff. She's praying when they're three years old for their future wife. And I watched her do that over many, it's not like it stopped now, but I watched her do that year, day after day, after week, after week, after month, after year, after year, watch that. Look, that's a beautiful thing to see. The prayer of a godly woman for her kids. That's what we, that's where the focus needs to be, right? We should 
read the Bible with our kids. Moms and dads, we should be reading the Bible with our kids. We should bring our kids faithfully to church. We should see to it that they are kind of involved in the things of the church. We should, we should see to it that our personal walk matches our profession of faith. Because don't think that your kids ain't watching every single little move that you make. So we should be walking the talk that our kids get. We should be real in front of our children. That's a huge thing, y'all. That's a huge thing. Be authentic in front of your kids. Be bro Let your kids see the brokenness. Because if they see the brokenness, they'll see the only one that can fix the brokenness. We've said it so many times on this stage that God fixes broken things. That's what redemption is, right? Let your kids see that. If you don't, there's just this natural tendency for a child to put a parent up on some false pedestal. And the reality of the matter is, is you're going to let your kids down, right? You are. I did. Absolutely no doubt about it. I had to have that talk with them. Don't be putting me on no pedestal because I will let you down. And so let, they need to see that because they need to see the hand that reaches down to pick you up when you let them down, right? They need to see that, okay? So we need to be real in front of our kids. More than anything, we need to give our kids Jesus Christ and him crucified and resurrected the only hope of our salvation. Look, I heard a story about a young girl who was sick, becomes sick, and I mean really, really sick. And after she had, she had been subjected to exhaustive, painful, heart-wrenching tests, um, her mama was told really shocking news that her daughter was terminally ill. And the girl, the young girl, had accepted Christ the year before, and so her mama knew that death would usher her daughter into the presence of the Lord, but how in the world could this mama tell this daughter what the daughter had said? You know, how could she tell her own daughter that, her own, that she only probably had weeks, at least a very short time to live? And so she spent the day in prayer, and finally, with a super heavy heart, goes to the hospital. She goes to the bedside of her daughter. And first she read a passage of scripture, and then she, she had a time of prayer with her, uh, with her daughter. And then super gently she told her daughter, like I could not even imagine the conversation. But she told her daughter that all that the daughters could really promise was a few more weeks to live for her daughter. And she asked her daughter, kind of an odd question, but she asked her daughter, are you, are you afraid are you scared? Are you afraid to meet Jesus, my sweet girl? And, and the, the daughter wipes away, and this is probably a 10-year-old little girl. She wipes away her tears and she says to her mama, um, no, not if he's like you, mama. So think about that. That's a mama who mirrored Christ for her child. That's what we need to do. And so here's the encouragement, y'all, for mamas, daddies, who, whatever you, wherever you are in that, if you're a mama or a daddy today, this is the takeaway, and it is super, 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 super simple. Allow, allow, allow your kids to see Christ in you, period. That's like one, two, three, four, five, six or seven words. Man, that's the whole takeaway. Allow your kids, when they are this big and when they're that big, 
allow them to see Christ in you, in your walk, in your talk, in the way you treat your husband, in the way you treat your wife, in the way you treat your kids, in the way you treat your neighbors, in the way you treat the people at work, in the way you talk, in the way you interact with them. And teach the gospel to them, of course teach the gospel to them, but live the gospel before their eyes, right? That will mean a whole lot more than even the words coming out of your mouth. Y'all, God providentially prepared Moses for his role as the deliverer of the nation of Israel through the two women that he gave to him to be mamas. And it is so cool to me because we have the, we have the benefit of hindsight. We got the benefit of thousands of years of looking back that how God uses everything that is going on. Very often behind the scenes, he uses all the stuff that happens. Think about raised in Pharaoh's household, what, 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 that, what that, uh, that prince has brought to the table, the leadership skills, the education, the confidence of being raised that way, what all of that brought to him, all of that coupled, all of that that he got from the Egyptian daughter of Pharaoh, coupled with the knowledge and the love of the, of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that he got from Jacobed. So God used all of those two buckets of stuff and he mixed it all up in Moses' life and he shaped, all of that shaped him and it crafted him and it molded him into the man that God wanted him to be. And so I'm going to tell y'all, if you were blessed to have a godly mama, you should thank the Lord for that today. If your mama wasn't, because everybody's experience is not like that and I understand it. And if your mama was not that way, she wasn't quite the way that she should have been. She didn't quite raise you the, the way that she should have. Ask the Lord today to help you to overcome all of that. Because he can. If your mother is lost today, I don't know, we're not going to sit here and assume that, that, that every one of us have mothers and fathers that are believers. That would be silly. And so if your mother is lost, I would say pray for her salvation right now but not just right now, tonight and tomorrow and the next day. You keep praying. Keep you a journal and keep praying for her salvation. If your mother is alive, pick the phone up today. If she doesn't live here, call her and tell her how much you love her. If you're like me and you need the Lord to work in some jacked up areas of your life, come to him today about that. If you want to come and pray for your children's growth and their maturity, and, and at the end of the day, a successful departure from your home. Now would be a good time to start praying about that because that's another thing, very important thing that we can give our children is to teach them how to live when we're gone, right? If you are living outside of God's will, you should come home today so that you can be a, a godly influence on the people around you. And I'm going to say this, if you don't have a relationship with the Lord today, Come to him now because he will forgive your sins. Don't care what it is, right? Don't care what it is. If it is abortion like we talked about a little while ago, hey, he can take care of that again and put it as far as the east is from the west and he will save you and he will change your life and when he begins to change you, he will change the people around you and he'll do that through you. So if, you, if that is you today, I want to leave you all with this. If that is you today and you don't know him, 
That's available to you today. And it's super simple, super simple. It is I repent of my sin and I believe that he died on the cross to handle that sin. Whatever the sin is, y'all got to hear that. I'm going to say he doesn't care about your past. He cares about your past in the sense that it will lead you to him. But once that, once you're forgiven, it is done away with. Y'all, I cannot emphasize that enough. Because when the scripture says he takes that and puts that as far as the east is from the west, it don't get no further than that. Y'all understand that? Stop dragging the same crap to the cross. Probably not supposed to say it that way. But the truth is, stop dragging the same junk to the foot of the cross. When it, you know what you do? You cheapen grace when you do that. You cheapen the work on the cross when you do that. You say, in effect, you're saying that what he did wasn't good enough. It may have been good enough for Ed's stuff, but it ain't good enough for mine. I gotta keep bringing it back up there. No to the no. Y'all, that's not the way it works. I just I feel like somebody really needed to hear that. When you are forgiven, it is forgotten. That's the point. So if that's you today, I want you to just pray this along with me. Out, if you're watching or whatever, you can be out loud. You can come up to the cross. But if you come up to the cross, stay six feet from somebody else. But you ain't gonna get coronavirus from the cross. So you can get close to the cross, but you need to stay six feet from somebody. But if you need to come up, I want you to come up. Lord, let today be the day that, that I say yes to your offer. That I say yes to your offer. Let today be the day that I repent of my sin. I turn away from it and I turn towards you. Lord, I turn towards you and I believe that you died on the cross to save me, period. Lord, and I ask you to come into my life and change me and save me. And it's in Jesus' name, amen.